0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Again, just a a welcome to those joining us online today, Uh, reminded again of the fact that uh, some can't be here uh, due to uh variety of reasons, and so we just want to give a special welcome to you this morning as well. So Romans, uh, it, it's a book that's a little thick in some way, you know, so I, you know, the goal, uh, when we started last Sunday, uh, our small group looked at verses 8 through 17, because that's what I was going to preach today, but by Wednesday, I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen, all right, so we're going to look at verses 8 through 15 today, and then next week we are going to look at just 16 and 17 uh, by themselves because really ultimately it, it just deserves an entire service to talk about those two verses because they are central to the entire theme of the book of Romans, and so we want to make sure that we take the proper time to look at that. As you look at verses 8 through 15 though, we see uh, Paul's affection for these Roman believers. Uh, we see that that what unites them is their faith. And as, he looked, as we're going to look at these verses 8 through 15 this morning, we're going to, we're going to see that even though he never really, you know, there, there's a chance that he met a few of these people, but for the most part, he did not know them. They were complete strangers, and yet he loved them. What, what was it that, that he loved about them? And, and ultimately, it comes down to the fact that they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And so automatically, he loved them. And that, their faith, was what, they, what united them. And I think that's just really important to remember this morning, that it is our faith that unites us. Well, LifeWay did a survey uh, just a couple of months ago, and asking pastors, what's your number one concern right now in the life of your church? And what came out as the number one concern was unity within the body of Christ. That was their number one concern going in July in the midst of this pandemic, that was their number one concern was unity. 27% said that was the number one concern for them. Two months earlier, it was at 8%. So you can see how they, in in a short time, there's just like, wait a minute, there's just so many things that could divide us. I'm really concerned about that. I mean, just think about these trigger words right now, right? I don't I'm not going to ask you what you think about them, okay? I'm just going to say the words. Masks. Government. The organization Black Lives Matter. Donald Trump. Environment. Like, you think about each of those words, and we can go on and on. It's just like, it could be, like, instrument, dividing, line, you know, let's get ready to rumble kind of words, right? And, And... And yet, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have different opinions on these items and still love one another. Do we hear that? Still love one another and be united by our faith. That's what should bind us together so that no matter what we believe on these things, we do life together. We respect one another and we do life together. And that's that's what we're gonna be reminded of as we look at the text this morning, and, and I think it's just a timely a message for us in the midst of these crazy days that we live in, but before we get into it, let me just pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into these verses. Lord, Lord God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, it is such a precious gift, this gathering together, and Lord, in these days, we do not take it for granted. Lord, we pray today that your name would be lifted high, that this beautiful thing that we share as the body of Christ would would just be something that as we leave here this morning, we're so thankful for, that we're reminded of the precious gift that we have in the body of Christ. Lord, I'm so thankful that you know every heart here this morning. You know exactly what they need to hear. God, I pray that as we get our eyes off of all the things that could divide us, as we get our eyes off of the things of this world and get our eyes onto Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you would remind us of our unity in you. That, Lord, we would increase in our love for one another and increase in our love for you as a result of our time here this morning. For your glory, for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans 1. 8 to 15, if you uh, don't have a Bible, maybe download one on your app, but we're going to look at Romans 1, 8 to 15, as I mentioned, I'm just going to read it for us, and we're going to see this, this theme of faith over and over again mentioned as we go through these verses, and the key, and it's key in keeping us unified, so Romans 1, 8 to 15. Uh, just if you weren't here last weekend, just to kind of give us the context Paul has introduced himself. This is who I am. Uh, Very succinct in verse one. Then he's in verses two to four has said, This is who Jesus Christ is. And then in five through seven, This is who you are as a result of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says this First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness That I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. As we look at the text, we're gonna see four different ways that our faith impacts us. The first thing we see is that our faith spreads our impact. When we have true faith, it spreads our impact. Again, look at those. verse 8. He thanks God through Jesus Christ for all the Roman believers because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. He wants them to understand his heart for them before he gets into this amazing letter that is going to unfold the glories of the gospel. He He wants them to understand his heart for them and he begins with thankfulness. And thankfulness is, should be something that marks all of us as the people of God. We see it over and over again in the life of Paul. He's always giving thanks. When you consider his life circumstances versus your life circumstances, uh, always reason to give thanks, okay? He, he, he went through a lot of difficult times, and yet he's always a man who's giving thanks because he understands who's on the throne. And so he gives thanks to whom? His God. Reminder of the personalness of our relationship to the Lord God, and that that we have a relationship with him, with him through what? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the mediator of our faith. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He is the one who has reconciled us to God through His blood. And so he's giving thanks for these believers. I love even how he's giving thanks, how his theology is coming out. And again, that should be the mark of you and I as the people of God, that, that we can't help but trip over our theology as we're walking through life. He's never, th- never met them, but he's given thanks to God for them. He's thankful for the faith of every single believer in Rome. The fact that faith has reached Rome is being heard all over the world. When you think about least likely places for the gospel to take hold, Rome would have been at the top of the list, right? It was kind of the, it's the power center of the world, very pagan, very much like our day today, to be honest, in so many different ways. And yet, the gospel has reached there without Peter, without Paul, Now, obviously, through their influence, but they haven't been to Rome yet at this point in history, and yet there's a church there, and it's a great encouragement to the whole world, it says. MacArthur says this about Rome. Believers in Rome lived in the lion's den, as it were, yet they lived out their faith with integrity and credibility. What I love is that these believers in Rome are known for what? They're amazing buildings. Is that what they're known for? No, that's not what it says. For their dynamic speakers, that's not what it says. They're known for their faith. How incredible is that? Uh, what, what, what would we give to have that said about us? We don't know a whole lot about those people, but we know that they have this incredible faith. The Apostle Paul, to commend them in this way, we know that their faith had to be genuine. He's already a, a affirmed that they belong to Jesus Christ, that they are saints. It was the kind of faith that impacted their lives. Not the kind of, kind of faith that was just lip service only, but the kind of faith that impacts lives, that changes lives. As James says, that there's fruit in their lives. Their, their works are evident to those around them have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith now is being heard about around the world. And for another religion to pop up in Jerusalem wouldn't have been a big deal. Like, okay, another one, right? Still today, kind of the epicenter of faith. But for Rome, this was a big deal. Today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are encouraged by believers in China in the same kind of light we when we hear that they're standing firm despite their persecution we are encouraged in our faith knowing that they stand firm against great odds what is said about the church in Canada what are we known for what about the church in Alberta in Calgary what about our church what are we known for My prayer is that we would be known by our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that changes lives. My prayer would be that our impact would spread, not just here in Northwest Calgary, but across the city and around the world. And So genuine faith spreads we am going to talk more about that as we continue on. Second thing that we see here is that there's a the faith that seals our affections. It changes our loves when we come to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of, of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul, once again, focuses on the Lord God. He says that God is his witness. He's not met these people, so he's like, listen, I know you haven't seen me day in and day out, but the Lord God has, and he could tell you that I continue to pray for you. He says that he, he, he prays without ceasing, always, in his prayers. It's just this constant prayer that he has for the believers. A bunch of people he has not yet met it's convicting when you think about that like maybe we pray for one another here maybe because we know each other and there's like this this personal aspect to it and we we feel invested in it and we 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 pray for one another but what about the church down the road do we pray for them for the church in the city? Do we, do we pray that God would, would encourage and strengthen the believers, that, that God would raise up godly leaders to feed his sheep, that his, strength, his church would be strengthened, that his church would be added to continually through the conversion of, of, of those who are lost? Do we pray for them? Do we, do we pray for the brothers and sisters in places like China or Iran where, where it's very difficult to live out your faith? Like that's the model we see here in Paul. He he is praying for them, why? Because he loves them. Not because he knows them, but because of who they are in Christ. They are brothers and sisters. And so may that bring conviction to our own lives to to say, Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray that your church would be strengthened because I love the brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to see your name glorified and honored. We see his affections for the people of God. We also see his affections for the Lord God. You'll notice there was that little parenthetical comment where he says, Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Whom I serve, God. Who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. A few questions that we need to answer as we interpret what is he saying here. First, there's the word letreo which in your Bibles, perhaps, if you have an ESV today, was translated, I serve. But this word can also mean to worship a deity or conceived as serving a deity. The same word is used in Philippians 3.3. In Philippians 3.3, it's translated this, like this, for we are the circumcision who worship, same word, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, worship is serving, and serving is worship as the people of God. At least that's how it should be. As you go through the scriptures, in the Old Testament, there's plenty of examples. God does not want just outward obedience, right? Going to the temple, doing the sacrifices. Aren't you pleased, God? No, I'm not pleased. Why? Because your hearts are far from me. And so when we serve, it ought to be out of worship to him. There's lots of different reasons people serve, not always good reasons. Some people serve so that others will think well of us, right? Yeah, I kind of needed to lift up my street cred, and so I, you know, I joined a church, and I served there, and now people think I'm a good person, some people serve because they think that by doing so, they're going to get into heaven. Some of us, if we're being honest, serve because, well, we have to. And we're kind of uh, a little bit of a grumbling under, under it all. But it ought not to be that way. Last week, we focused on the needs in the church here and said, hey, there's some, there's some opportunities to serve and and, 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 and so we've highlighted that, but I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you, as you serve this year, do not do so out of obligation or, or, or this feeling like, oh, okay, like, I just get off my back, kind of, but like, serve out of worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, serve like Paul saying, hey, like verse one, I'm his servant, I'm his slave, I'm his bond servant, I'm, it's all for him. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. And when we really break that down and think about it, how is it that you're able to serve? Because God gave you the giftings, and he's given you his spirit, right? And here's the thing. When we serve and worship, what does that bring in your own life? Joy. Joy. Like, like, there's few things in this world that will bring you more joy than serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and doing it with worship. And so that ought to be our focus, as it was for Paul. And he says, so he says, first of all, that he serves God. And then he has, and then he says this, with my spirit in the gospel of his son, with my spirit. What does that mean? It's interesting, like, when you start breaking it down verse by verse, prepositional phrase by prepositional, like, you know, like, you guys all love, like, like prepositional phrases, right? But, like, here's the thing. Like, all these words matter. Every word matters because God uses language to communicate to us. So what is he saying when he says, with my spirit? Some commentators are like, well, Philippians 3.3, so he must be meaning, like, the Holy Spirit. Well, you we can see how they get there, but he's saying my spirit. And some think it's you know in the context here he's talking about his prayer life, and so maybe it's that it's that aspect he's working in his spirit, prayer, through the gospel. But it doesn't seem like it's limited that much. Rather, it means it seems to mean as as several commentators have said, it means sincere devotion. Like when you think about a spirited affair, like it was wholehearted, right? So he's saying he serves the Lord wholeheartedly. Again, what a challenge to you and I, not not half-heartedly, not insincerely, but sincerely. And his devotion, as we as we wrap up this phrase here, is in devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in that context, as As one who worships the Lord God with his whole heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what he does. And so that's the context here. Why is he he so affectionate towards these people? Why is he praying the way he is? It's because of this, because of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his worship of him, and the gospel, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Interesting, the the text was uh, read earlier by Kevin. He had the same heart for the church in Thessalonica. He wanted, he longed to come to them. This word for asking, dehomai, is to ask with urgency, with the implication of presumed need. It's to plead or to beg. So in other words, he wasn't just like, you know, if you get around to the Lord, I'd like to get to Rome. Like, he really, really wants to get there. That's what he's trying to get across them. Like I, Like, the question might, might be, the apostle to the Gentiles has yet to get to the epicenter of the Gentiles, right? It doesn't seem to make sense here. So he's explaining, look, I've wanted to come, and I've been praying that by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. We find out in Romans 15, 23, let me read that for you. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you. Now, in other words, it wasn't just like, you know what? I, I, I want to go to Rome. I just thought of it. Now I'm going to go. It's, for years he's longed to come, and, and now he believes that God is opening the door. I like how he says that they're asking that somehow... By God's will, I may come to you. Well, being on this side of history, we understand how that somehow came about. How did he get there? In, in chains, right? In chains, he arrives in Rome. You and I in our prayer life, sometimes we're like, here's the way I want to get there, okay? No problems, right? And, and, uh, and no sacrifices. Can we just have that? That would be great. But Paul says, by God's will. God, your will be done. And in fact, as you look through the book of Acts, he knows he's going to be arrested in Jerusalem. Everyone's weeping. Don't go to Jerusalem. He, 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 the Spirit of God is telling us that you will be imprisoned if you go there. And he's like, are you kidding me, you guys? Stop crying. Like, I would not only go... And, and, and be put in prison, I would go and die for Christ. So stop crying, we're, get, we're staying on mission here, right? And he gets to Rome, and the Holy Spirit, as the, as the Holy Spirit had revealed, he is arrested, and then gets to Rome through being in chains. But he did get there, and he did have a great impact for the kingdom as he came to Rome. So instructive for you and I. Paul, in these couple of verses, shows his love for the Lord God, that he loved him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He served him with worship. He wants his will to be done in his life. Not his will. Paul, as he says elsewhere, is now dead. His affections are now dead. He lives for Christ and for Christ alone. And for the people of God. And he longs to see them, which brings us to the next thing he says. He longs to see them because he, we want to see, he wants to see the faith that strengthens the body. The faith that strengthens our body. Not like this body, right? Like, for sure it needs help. But not that, right? But our body together. The body of, the, of Jesus Christ. He wants to come and see them He says in verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I just, I want to come see you guys so bad. Like, I've never met the majority of you, but I want to come see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So the question is, what is the spiritual gift? Is it something we'd see in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12? Is that, is that what he's talking about here? Well, there's been a lot of debate about it, but I, I think at the end of the day, if, as we look at the context of these verses, what he's saying is, I desire to bring some blessing to you, some benefit to you, some strengthening to you. And, and, and the implication is, I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be yet until I get there. He's definitely going to give some strengthening to them through the next 16 chapters, but he wants to come to them so that their faith can be strengthened. I love how it's just like this side note. I want to come and and, and give you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Oh, and by the way, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Can you relate to what Paul is saying here? That, that, that when you gather together with other believers, there's this mutual strengthening of one another? Like your faith strengthens mine and, and my faith strengthens yours? Has that been your experience? As I look back on my life, that, I mean, that's been my experience. Like some of the sweetest times of my life have been here gathering together with the saints and and hearing about what the Lord God is doing in your life and and then encouraging you and spurring you on with my faith and back and forth. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith for me to be encouraged, right? I mean, believers who've been around for a while, right? Like, is your faith not strengthened? When that person gets into the baptismal sink it says, I was lost, but now I'm found, right? And, and, and then they're just, it's like, there's this like, okay, like God is still saving people. My faith has been greatly strengthened by meeting this new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so it goes. So that new believer, it spurs us on, and then that mature believer is able to pour into that person's life. Like what a benefit we have in this. You can't do this through live stream. We need one another. And I'm concerned about our brothers and sisters who are in these situations that they can't gather right now. So text, phone, whatever you need to do, strengthen the body of believers in any way that you can. We need each other's faith. We need isolate ourselves, it's, it's damaging over and over again. As I think about being mutually encouraged by each other's faith, I've also had this awesome privilege over the last 30 years to go overseas as well and to meet people in cultures where I don't know the language, they don't know my language, we have a translator between us, and they're in the faith. And I'll tell you that the way that my faith has been strengthened in those places to see that God is not just building his church in Canada, not just building his church in North America, but all over the world. It is so encouraging when you're up on a mountain in Nepal, and you see these people coming from who knows where, walking for who knows how long to get to a church so that they can worship together and be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When you come on Sunday morning, is that your mindset? I can't wait to strengthen the brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait for my faith to be strengthened. And it's a both and. Being on the mission field, sadly, I've heard of some people thinking it's only one way right? We're going to come in there. Those, those people overseas, they don't really know how the church is to operate. I'm going to come in there, and, and I'm going to strengthen them all, right? Well, that usually doesn't go really well, and they have a very short time overseas, and they come home. It's a mutual thing. We have so much to learn from one another. God has gifted us so uniquely, And so let us spur one another on as Paul is saying, I can't wait to get together. I can't wait to see you guys. I long to see you. By God's will, I'm hoping to see you soon. MacArthur says this, Paul, the greatest theologian who ever lived, was also one of the most humble men of all. He was blessed beyond measure, yet he had no spiritual pride or intellectual arrogance. Because he had not attained spiritual perfection, but genuinely pursued it. He was eager to be spiritually helped by all believers in the Roman church, young as well as old, mature as well as immature. We're not in heaven yet. I think that's pretty clear, right? And we still have ways to grow. And one of the amazing ways that God does that is by each other's faith and how we can mutually strengthen one another. So we're seeing that our faith unites us, it spreads our impact, it seals our affections, it strengthens our bodies. And then lastly, it summons our souls. It summons our souls. We see this in verses 13 to 15. Again, he wants them to understand, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. As Romans 15 reminded us, For years now, I have intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Most likely because of the work that he has been doing as a missionary. Other times in in Scripture, we've seen that Paul was like, I tried to get there, but Satan didn't let me get there. In this particular case, it seems like he's just been so busy in Asia, strengthening the church there that he has not been allowed yet to go over there. But there's this sense, as we have seen in Romans 15, where that work is coming to a close and he longs to come to them and believes that the time is now. But he wants to get there. Why? In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He wants to reap a harvest. He wants to, to, to gather some fruit. This reminds us of what it says in Philippians 1, to 26. Again, I always just encourage you guys to write these verses down. looking them up for yourself later. But Philippians 1, to 26 You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In the same way that he longed to get to the church in Philippi and to strengthen them, so too he's saying the same here. I want to come. I want to see you strengthened. I want to come, and I want to see some people get saved in Rome. He he desires, you know, with Paul's coming, he's given the gospel. And, and, and the implications, as we think about this word gospel, and I think this is really key for us to understand as we go through this entire book, the gospel doesn't just get you in the door. The gospel is for your salvation. When you first come to faith in Christ, your sanctification, and ultimately your glorification, it's all about the gospel. It's all centered in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross on your, your and my behalf. That's always the thing. It's not like, okay, well, We had the gospel. Now we're moving on to other things now. Everything's always built on the gospel. And so he says, I want to come. I long to come. I I can't wait to preach in the streets of Rome. It was a little different. He, He was like, when he got there, right, he was confined in a home, but he still got to preach the gospel and strengthen the faith of many believers. He wants to come, see new converts, the church strengthened Then he explains, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. What's he saying here? The gospel is for everybody. It's to the Greeks and the non-Greeks. That's where the word barbarian comes from. Non-Greeks translates the word barbaros, from which we get barbarian. The Greeks applied the word to people who could not speak Greek and therefore used uncouth languages that sounded like nonsense. Barbar. Barbar. I mean, it was kind of like a mocking thing, right? Here comes the barbarians. Here comes the foolish, the unwise. We are the Greeks. We are the educated. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of the, there was this division of classes in their society. Not so PC back in those days, right? But Paul's saying, look, the gospel is for everybody. If you think about our setting today, it's for the white-collared people, it's for the blue-collared people, it's for the educated, it's for the uneducated. It's for all people. There is no one on this earth who does not need to hear the gospel. We all have the same problem, it's a sin problem. So it doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your background. We all desperately need to hear the gospel. And Paul says, I am obligated to go and tell these people. This word for obligated is I am indebted. I am indebted to do this, to go and proclaim the gospel to these people. Stott explains that there's two ways to get into Debt. The first is to borrow money from someone. The second is to be given money for someone by a third party. For example, if you were to borrow $1,000, if I was to borrow $1,000 from you, I would be in your debt until I paid it back. Equally, if a friend of yours was to hand me $1,000 to give to you, I would be in your debt until I handed it over. In the former case, I would have got myself into debt by borrowing. In the latter, it is your friend who has put me in your debt by entrusting me with $1,000 for you. Do You understand what he's saying here? God has given us a debt. He's saying, I have saved you through the, through the glorious gospel, and now I am obligating you to go and pass that on. We had a debt that we could not pay. It was our sin. But God has paid that for us. And in turn, he's saying, now I have a new thing for you to do. I want you to go and I want you to tell all the world about this glorious gospel. I like the way MacArthur illustrated it. If you were walking by a home and you could see that the corner of the home was on fire, and yet, as you walked by, you seen in the window, there were people sitting around a table, totally oblivious to the fact that their house was on fire. You wouldn't say, well, hopefully someone who knows them comes and tells them. Good luck. You wouldn't do that, right? What would you do? You'd be like, man, if somebody doesn't tell them, they could, their lives could be in danger. I need to run and tell them that their house is on fire, In the same way, that's what's going on spiritually. Judgment is coming. And the judge will bring judgment. And we know, the scriptures teach, that my sin demands an eternal punishment because I've sinned against the eternal God. So everyone who has not placed their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. That's the way it is. It's reality. And so as I go about my day, I can't continually be thinking, well, I hope someone else goes and tells that person, like, when we pray, do we, are we like, Paul, like, I'm praying that I can come and strengthen you. When you pray for the, your unsaved friends and family and those around you, do you say, God, use me? Lord, I want to I wanna be able to tell these people about your good news. Give me boldness. Give me strength, Lord God. Give me opportunity. I want to do it for your name's sake, for your glory's sake. I'm not going to leave it to chance Just as you would not just kind of, well, I hope someone comes out, somebody else sees that fire. You wouldn't do that. In the same way, you and I need to have that same urgency when we consider the lost. The stakes are far greater than a house on fire. And so Paul says, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I love how Paul is on mission continually. I'm eager, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not like begrudgingly like, uh, like I can't wait to come. Why? So that I can preach in Rome too. He's just been all over half the world doing it, but he can't wait to get to the next place to be able to proclaim the gospel. May that be our heart as well. When you think about that first few hundred years of the church, that's some pretty great guys at the beginning, right? Right? Paul, Peter, John, God used them to, to be the foundation of the church under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's not a whole lot after that. We're not, we're not you know, who was the next Peter? Who was the next Paul? What happened was this. And we've seen it even in their day. Individual believers took the responsibility seriously that they were to go and tell others. Schaff says this while there were no professional missionaries devoting their whole life to this specific work, every congregation was a missionary society. Every Christian believer, a missionary, inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow man. Every Christian told his neighbor, the laborer, his fellow laborer, the slave to his fellow slave the servant to his master and mistress, the story of his conversion as a mariner tells the story of the rescue from shipwreck. Over and over and over again, can I tell you the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I tell you what he's done in my life and what he wants to do in your life? This is our joy as the people of God. It's the faith that summoned us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the faith that compels us to go and tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. What a faith we share. A faith that spreads our impact. A faith that seals our affections. We don't love what we used to love. A faith that strengthens our body. And a faith that summons our souls. May the Lord make us known for a faith like this. And may our impact and reputation spread like wildfire. And spread the gospel through our city, through our province, our country, and around the world. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. Lord, thank you for reminding us of these precious truths. Many of us here this morning know these things. But sometimes we forget Sometimes we lose focus. And so, God, we're praying. Would you strengthen our faith? Lord, would you make us known by our faith? Lord, may your love be evident amongst us. May our desire be to see one another strengthened in the things of you, God. May our desire to to see your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, as we go out and proclaim the glorious good news. God, as I think about even just our small church, the impact that it could be used for to, to see your glory brought through all this city, throughout the land, Lord God, throughout the world. Lord, if we would just be committed to this task of sharing the good news. God, give us boldness, give us faith, give us urgency to share the good news. And Lord, may we see many, many people come to faith in you. May we see what Paul's seen, a church strengthened and a church expanded as the gospel went forth. It's your name we pray. Amen. let stand and sing.